Welcome to the Creative Writing Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Alexander Smith. This podcast is your place to hear brand new fiction and poetry from American creative writers. Today we're listening to short stories by Lily Ann Harrison and Lana Tan. Lily Ann Harrison is an actress and writer living in Toluca Lake. She is the third of four children born to actors Gregory Harrison and Randy Oakes and grew up primarily in Oregon. She has studied short story and screenwriting at Portland State University and at UCLA. She performs her fiction work around Los Angeles and produces The Blue Hour, a bi-monthly reading series at the Victory Theater in Burbank for young up-and-coming fiction writers and poets. Follow her on Instagram at Lily Ann Harrison. Lana Tan was born to be a bridge between worlds. She sees the unity within the duality, and her life work is finding some way to communicate this wholeness in seeming opposites. Poverty and privilege, east and west, light and dark, inner and outer, science and mysticism, you and me. She hopes that she has perhaps captured but a fragment, the wordless wonder in her so many words, and that the music of the stars can one day be sold on plastic keychains. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's listen to the stories. The Yellow Room is narrated by Rebecca Smith. The Yellow Room by Lily Ann Harrison. Copyright 2017. The heel of my shoe broke off with a thud and sat idly on its side near the entrance to a bar called The Yellow Room. I didn't want to go inside The Yellow Room, but I couldn't keep walking without hobbling like a fool or taking off my one broken shoe and walking down the street like that. I used to walk down the street that way when I was still drinking. The universe, or God or something, managed to still make me a barefooted drunk. A joke which made me feel powerless and small, and which made it harder to see the point. My mouth watered at the thought of it. A Jameson and soda clinking with ice as I moved it in a circle with my hand, melting and watering it down to that perfect icy point. I shivered because it was cold, and the yellow room looked like home. I paced there by the doorman. Ma'am, are you coming in? He said, his hands intertwined in his lap and his stance wide. Probably not, I replied. Probably not. I spun playfully on my heelless foot, as if I weren't toying with the idea of starting up again, but rather a young woman with a broken shoe and her whole life ahead of her who might make light of it with a cocktail. My friends are on their way, I said, chewing on my hair. Okay, ma'am, he said, staring straight ahead. I turned my back to him. I'm just going to wait for them, I said. Okay, ma'am. The heel of my shoe still sat there by the entrance. I hadn't retrieved it, but he knew it was mine. At one point, he even looked down at it and back up at me. It was the only time he looked me in the eye. I guess it was the only thing he thought to be important enough. That heel in the entryway of his bar and how that might deter people from coming in. Maybe he didn't care that I was an alcoholic who hadn't had a drink in 142 days, but just really cared that I get that heel out of the way of the entrance. I didn't want to pick it up. Insult to injury and all that. Also, because that would put me close enough to the inside of the yellow room to smell the old carpet and sugary rum and hear the laughter that only comes with the imbibed, which might be too much for me to handle. I got sober because my parents disowned me. 
I got drunk at my sister's wedding and drove their car into the lake and drowned. My dad did CPR on me and brought me back. He broke two of my ribs and it still hurts when I breathe sometimes. My boyfriend Mickey took all of my things after that and kicked me out of our place after that. He said, you hurt everybody and shut the door in my face. I was at our old apartment on this particular night where he still lived which was a drafty loft downtown with high ceilings. We had hung these tapestries on the wall that we'd found together in India and had shipped home for an unforgivable amount of money because we loved them and couldn't live without them. They smelled like old books, and when we shook them out to hang them on the walls, we laid them down instead and made love on them first. We hung them up with little metal tacks afterward and joked about how our friends would admire them when we had parties and we would have a private laugh about how we christened them. So I'd been over there, at our old place, because we were friends again on account of me being sober, and I thought that maybe I'd finally go to Mickey and ask him for my dad's old record player, which was sitting on the dresser covered in a thick layer of dust. It had records piled on top of it, and the very top one had a wine ring in the left corner, so I knew he'd had some parties. My dad had given me the record player, so it meant a lot to me. The thought of Mickey playing my dad's old jazz records on it for unassuming girls with fake tits and fruity lip gloss for the last 142 days made me sick all of a sudden. Give me that record player back now, please, I said. Your dad gave it to us both. No, I'm his daughter. He gave it to me, I said, moving to grab it. Don't do it, babe, he said picking up the telephone. Are you going to call the cops or something? If I have to, he said. Hi, officer. My ex-girlfriend is here taking her own record player from our shared apartment. Please help, I snapped. He called 911 anyway, so I had to leave in a hurry without the record player. I left because I stole from him once. I took all of his camera equipment and sold it because I was out of money and needed a hotel room, and I had caught him with another woman a few weeks before, so I thought he deserved it. He also had a nice stash of bourbon, so I took that and drank it all in the car on the way to the hotel later that night. Him calling the police didn't ruin the value of the record player, which is too bad, because I'd have to go on dreaming about having it back. I daydreamed some more that my dad would come to my empty little studio apartment to reconnect with me and see nothing but dirty sheets and a spare floor lamp with a flickering light, but there it would sit, his record player, and he'd know I never gave up on him either. I pulled myself away from the yellow room, moving toward the street like a girl trapped in molasses. Ma'am, would you like your heel? The doorman said behind me. No, you keep it, I said loudly without turning around. I crept into the quiet street, and with no witnesses to vouch for my efforts, I crossed the empty street and reached the convenience store parking lot and whipped around. The doorman looked at me strangely, and I waved from the other side of myself. Love Lightly by Lana Tan Copyright 2017 Having a bad dream? Hold me tighter. Breathe deeply into the rhythm we've created. Feeling uncentered, off balance? Come back to earth in the valleys and hills of my skin. You are like a flower unfurling in the dawning of my love. The first light of morning touches your still sleeping body. 
Your eyes slowly open, and you smile and murmur sleepily, I love you like the land loves the rain. I kiss your head, softly and slowly, and whisper, Go back to sleep, for I am the moth and you are the flame. You need rest, and I the same. She sleeps, and I follow. I wake and see her shadow against the window. Her head leans on the frosted glass as she looks out to the world beneath her. I pad on soft feet to her side, furling her neatly into my arms, wrapping her the protective leaf to her delicate petals. You sigh into my chest. We should get dressed. Yes, I hold her tight and let her go. What I really want to say is, we should stay here forever. But we have an appointment. The morning is gray, the sky an iron weight. Snow dusts the ground. The train is quiet as it rattles through the morning light. Our hands intertwine back and forth, soft trailing fingertips lacing us together. I lean into your neck to plant a kiss and inhale your smell. Rose water and the vanilla pureness of your flesh draw me back in time to a summer day we shared. Your mother had needed a rose bush pruned. You wanted to make rose water. We've made gallons of the stuff, and you've worn it every day since. You daub it on your skin. It intoxicates me. But now there is a metallic undercurrent to your smell. I wrestled the snarled vines as you daintily snipped the pinkish buds into a bin. There were flowers old and full, fragrant in their lush openness, and younger, modest buds furled tightly, awaiting another dawn to open and spill their sweet breath into the air. You were something in between. I saw you from the corner of my eye, bold and brave and in charge when you thought I wasn't looking. Your petals were raw and scarlet. When I looked at you, beaming at your brilliant beauty, you would blush, pink and perfect and concealed, modest and shut tight, still scared and shy of the power that we were just beginning to realize that we held over each other. You didn't want to be hurt, neither did I, but now, this hurts more than either of us could have known. The train lets us out. You pull me out, lead me across the street and into the hospital. You don't look back. You never have. The doctor looks you in the eye and tells you that the cancer isn't going into remission. He tells you that his treatments aren't working. All the drugs that have made you so sick and the radiation that ate your beautiful hair aren't working. He tells you, quietly, to make your arrangements. It will not be much longer now. You are silent, and your silence speaks a pouring of your grief into my cupped hands. I try to hold it, but it slips by like water to pool in the cavities of our hearts. Before, there would have been no room because those cavities were filled by the wholeness of each other. But you have been drawing away, leaving us both empty inside. I want to go home now, you say from underneath tears. I have not let go of your hand, and I lead you away from this horrible place. 
The doctor says, wait, you should stay in the hospital. We do not listen. His answers are hollow now. We go home. We draw a hot bath. So hot, your bruised flesh can barely handle it. And we weep for each other, for the animal of cancer that lurks under stairways, whose slimy golden eyes shine from dark places at the corners of vision. You are gone now. We held each other in those final nights with an intensity that tried in vain to burn away the waiting night. I became the flame and you the moth, and as much as I tried to feed you with the burning fire of my love, to water you with the rains of my tears, it was not enough. But we were happy. We knew that all love has an end. We live because we know that each moment could be the last. We love because all of life will one day be the past. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Yellow Room by Lily Ann Harrison and Love Lightly by Lana Tan. Thanks for listening to Creative Writing Out Loud, the podcast for fiction and poetry. Music by Simon Mathewson. Visit creativewritingoutloud.com to subscribe to our email list and like us on Facebook. Tune in next week for new fiction and poetry from American writers. See you then.